Welcome, Deborah Wally, University of Iowa professor, artist, curator, scholar of comics, and so much more. Welcome. It's a pleasure uh, to be a part of this conversation. Deborah, you like I how like you've published on like black sororities, and then you published this like incredibly important, significant book on black women in comics. How like unzip your brain? Where did all this kind of come together? How does it come together for you? Why comics? Yeah. Great question. Well, one of the things that both of my books uh, share is that, you know, I do interviews, a little bit of of ethnography with this book, but uh, much more so with the first book. But talking about the way culture works, cultural politics, and um, the importance of popular culture and expressive culture, you know, is a part of both of my projects. And so the interesting thing about the second book is that uh, you know, I'm, I'm trained as an Americanist and a, and a cultural historian who also does literature and so, and popular literature. So I've been teaching about comics, you know, ever since I started teaching. I find a way to incorporate it into all of my courses to um, engage students visually and, you know, help them make the connections between representation and larger things going on, you know, social relations um, and politics. And I think Sequential art does a really nice job at um, being able to oftentimes take up the issues of the day uh, with with humor, with uh, excitement, with um, beautiful imagery, um, short, pithy narrative. So it's really perfect for teaching. But I never thought about publishing anything uh, about comics, even though it was a part of my pedagogy. And I'm also an artist, and the only training I have had in art is in cartooning. And I, you know, I do other types of art, but that's um, the formal training that I have had. So ever since I was young, I've been drawing comics, and then later did some uh, training as um, a young adult. And so this book really happened by accident. And, uh, you know, insofar as um, in 2004, uh, as many of us know, the uh, DC did the film Catwoman with Halle Berry, which um, was not a box office success. But when I saw it, I thought, you know, this would be really interesting for an article to think about the ways in which this character has transformed over time from the Batman television show that I watched in reruns as a kid. Um, to the comics, you know, that I have read, to the Batman films. And so it just started as an article. And while I was researching, I found that there really wasn't a lot written on black women in comics. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned in the preface to my book is writing this was like a treasure hunt. It was really difficult to find things. And researching and writing the Catwoman article really just opened up that that conundrum but it was also really exciting because I thought you know wow there's a real opportunity here to spend a bit more time thinking about the representation of black women in sequential art and it just grew from there I you know I thought it would be a good book but I, I didn't really know it was going to be a book until I started a second article on the work of Jackie Orms, the cartoonist Jackie Orms, who did 
um, you know, as you know, she did um, gags and comic strips in the 1930s, 40s, and early 1950s in black newspapers. And so that was the second article. And by that time, I knew that the material that I could find and that I could not find would be a great opportunity to pull this together as uh, a larger project. So it was really exciting trying to build my own archive, as well as drawing from others, you know, absolutely. Um, so it's both uh, exciting and sometimes frustrating. But uh, in the end, I, you know, I feel like um, there's a lot there in terms of the work I've been able to do. And, and there's a lot more to say and do that other scholars are taping, uh, taking up, which I'm also really excited about. Were there, you know, you've started already to kind of get into what you've discovered. Was there, uh, and what, you know, has been kind of hidden and how you had to work in the archive to kind of bring it out. But was there, um, was there something really truly surprising where, you know, you were just, wow, I had no idea. You know, there were a, a lot of things. So I began trying to find out all the information I could about every appearance of a woman of African descent across a wide spectrum of sequential art. Right? I'm talking comic strips, I'm talking, you know, comic books, graphic novels, um, moving image media, video games, and that's a really large terrain. But uh, lucky and unlucky for me, there are not a lot of black women who show up in these spaces. So there, it, you know, it was enough to keep the project uh, exciting and manageable at the same time. And, you know, when I, I sort of think about it chapter through chapter, um, the most sort of surprising aha moment for me, I think came with my first chap chapter um, on the cartoonist Jackie Orm, who um, began doing comics in the 1930s. And, a couple of things were surprising. One was that she used this form of uh, gags, one panel comic strips, as well as um, her um, uh, larger um, comics uh, that had several panels to talk about the news of the day, politics. Um, Jackie Orms was someone that the FBI um, was tracking because they thought she was a subversive. They believed that she was um, highly participatory in the Communist Party of the USA. And when I did my research on her, you know, I was looking at her comics and doing some textual analysis, but also thinking about what it meant to do this work while she was under surveillance. Uh, and what does it mean to try to impart a larger message, right? So this is a moment of, um, you know, segregation. Um, you know, this is the moment of insecure economic times for our country just more widely. Um, yes, uh, communist baiting. And so she was able to talk about all of that uh, in her work and gender relations and issues of, um, you know, unfair labor practices. And so looking at her work meant I also had to, again, think about what it meant to do this work while you are um, under surveillance. And so that led me to, who, to her um, FBI file, uh, which was not easy to obtain. It, it took a long time. A lot of it was redacted. 
I'm, you know, I'm looking at a file well over 200 pages that just has lots of blacked out material. So I had to read between the lines and lots of other primary and secondary sources to fill in the gaps and see if I could create a cohesive narrative um, out of all these materials, the FBI file, her comics, um, you know, looking at secondary literature about communism, um, cultural front, uh, politics of the 1930s where you had these artists who were very um, politically savvy uh, and involved in using their art uh, to think about class relations and injustice. They're really trying to think her works through these larger contexts. So, you know, that chapter was the most difficult, uh, you know, because of all these moving parts, but it was also the most exciting. And I really tried to toe the line between, um, you know, part of Jackie Orange's conundrum at that moment was, again, they, you know, they thought she was a subversive and a, and a communist, the government, the FBI. And she never said that she was a member of the Communist Party, although she did take part in uh, meetings and had close associations and gave money. And, um, you know, she was on record as saying that there were some um, things about the party that she really appreciated. So I didn't want to do what the FBI did, which was to say, okay, she's a communist and this means X or Y. And we're only going to look at her work through that lens. While at the same time trying to draw out that yes, yeah, she really did have a radical politics of the time that in many ways was um, inducive of some aspects of what was going on on the political left. And so just trying to bring out that nuance and, and toe that line was, was challenging, but again, it was exciting as well. Yeah, so exciting. The archives, um, a kind of historical record that you're bringing to life that itself reminds people of the real dangers, right, of coming from certain communities, our communities, the dangers of giving voice, right? Um, gosh, yeah, uh, so important. Um, you also, I mean, you know, you've done, you do so much, Deborah. but um, tell us about Afro-Goth web comics. I know this is going to be out in the gender and sexuality companion volume that we um, have all been working hard to put out this summer. But yeah, um, tell us about that space of research for you. And I'm, I'm really excited that this piece is, is going to see um, wide distribution very soon this summer. This piece that I've written on Afro-Goth comics primarily, but also Afro-Goth music. So that piece came about uh, actually as an extension of Black Women in Sequence. And so, you know, the last chapter, Black Women in Sequence, I, um, I present some interviews that I did with women of African descent who are writers and artists of comics. And I use these sort of uh, theoretical uh, and artistic categories to think about the type of work that they were doing. And so I look at, you know, fantasy comics, which I describe as um, Afrophantasmagoria, I look at um, Afropunk, which is a really uh, established, um, continuing to grow research field. I looked at um, what I hope to have coined as um, one of the first people to have coined the idea of Afro anime and Afro manga and thinking about the connection between black representation 
and Japanese comics and moving uh, image uh, media and the ways in which Black women artists and writers have been highly influenced by um, Japanese popular culture. But there were these other categories that I wanted to look at that was, you know, it was just that, that chapter, which is the final chapter, was just growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I wanted to talk about this uh, area, which I'm calling Afro-Goth as well. And there just wasn't room. It just would have been too unwieldy to include it in that chapter, although I really wanted to. So I continued doing uh, the research and writing about a particular comic artist. Her name is uh, Kaylin Pickens Rich. Uh, and, and she is she is now actually she's she's finishing. She's graduating this year from um, Pratt, which is which is very exciting. She's a, a, an amazing artist who mostly does web comics. She does commission art as well. And so she is someone who incorporates aspects of goth, alternative music, and subculture into her webcomics. And one of the very few to do this now, um, you know, there are a, a, a substantial subgroup of uh, people of African descent doing sequential art who incorporate aspects of Afro-punk. And a lot of times people see, you know, Afro-goth music as a kind of subcategory of, uh, of Afro-punk. But looking at this connection between Black people, people of African descent participating in goth culture and making it anew so it's relevant to their cultural, social, and historical uh, experiences is really uncharted terrain. And so, again, the piece just came out of something I wanted to be in the book but couldn't fit in the book, and I kept writing and researching and doing interviews. And I guess I should also admit that as a youth and a young adult, I was um, highly, uh, I was a, a, a substantial participant in um, post-punk, punk. You know, we weren't calling it Afro-punk at that time <laughs> in the you know, mid 80s uh, and, and late 80s uh, and early 90s, but I was very participatory uh, in the subculture and a fan of uh, goth music and um, really loved goth music artists. And so this smaller piece, this article was also an opportunity for me to think about my own roots, my own sort of um, subcultural roots. So exciting. I imagine that, um, you know, all of these synergies, these incredible spaces that you're clearing um, must be so exhilarating for students. And you mentioned you bring comics into your classroom, no matter what kind of classroom it is. Um, what 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 tell, maybe share with us some methods, some things that you do in the in your classroom spaces with comics. Absolutely. So when I teach comics, I start with thinking about sequential art as a visual form and a narrative form, and how it's uniquely situated to get across really complex ideas with oftentimes simple illustrations, and as I said before, really um, a really pithy narrative. And so sequential art and comics in particular does a lot of work that I think we don't, uh, that some people don't sort of see at 
um, on the surface, right? So it's always fun to sort of unpack that. But then I also find that students have a relationship, many students have a relationship with uh, comics, whether it's, um, you know, what we used to call the funnies, you know, comic strips or gags and newspapers or uh, comic books and graphic novels or, you know, at least since the 1980s, this huge filmic franchise um, with DC and maybe more um, recently uh, over the past, you know, 15 years or so, Marvel. And so, so many people have a connection to various parts of sequential art that it's really primed to talk about in the classroom. So we began, you know, thinking about some uh, theoretical ideas that are associated with visual culture and comics in particular. You know, things like um, trying to unpack how there are um, ideologies in forms of sequential art that are um, both um, proffered and subverted. Um, you know, ideologies of nationalism, of race, and class politics. And so one of the things that I teach is the ways in which comics can be a really um, fascinating form to unpack, you know, as I was saying before, these larger issues in relationship to politics and culture and social relations, how we interact, how culture has changed over historical time, how comic artists were using this form like Jackie Orms, but like so many other comic artists and writers who were using this form to talk about the important issues of the day with humor sometimes and wit and um, biting criticism that uh, oftentimes came off as both both poignant but a little softer because it was sort of hidden behind the visual images uh, and the um, you know the, the the very pithy short uh, narratives that come with it and so those are the things that um, we think about in comics and it's so exciting so it doesn't matter if I'm talking about suffrage you know if I'm um, talking about uh, presidential politics, desegregation, so many things that comics have taken up over time, gender relations, um, you know, various aspects of, of popular culture. And so um, it's definitely a relatable form that uh, students really connect with in a variety of ways. And, you know, just like when I teach cinema, there's a little bit of work of trying to, you know, as I was saying before, sometimes people read comics and they enjoy them, but they don't necessarily think about it as cultural criticism. So I always have to spend some time saying, okay, you know, just like when I do film studies, it's not just a film, <laughs> a lot of other things are going on. So when I do comics, I have to do the same thing. And, and obviously, you know, one of the ways to get there is to talk about, you know, I was talking about Jackie Arms and the censorship, or at least the uh, profiling that she experienced, but, you know, as uh, scholars of comics know, you know, there was a moment where comics as a form was thought of um, as subversive, right, in the 1950s, and, and um, you know, people were making some um, connections, um, oftentimes egregious, between what was going on in various popular comics and how, you know, they were um, something that people were trying to shield young readers from, right? So, you know, I'm talking about the Senate hearings and the, the comics code and Frederick Wortham and that sort of moment in the 1950s where um, this form was thought to be um, censored. And so when I talk about that in the classroom, that's a moment for them to see, well, yeah, this, this is an important form um, that sometimes is doing um, a lot of really important 
um, cultural commentary and cultural work. Yeah, so so important um, for our students. A kind of welcoming, uh, like you were saying, comics is at first kind of blush, welcoming, and then once we're kind of inside the story spaces, you know, we get flipped upside down, right? You hook them in and then you're able to unpack so much more. So you do so much, Deborah, um, comics and scholarly work in other areas. Um, but where are these projects going? What kinds of projects are you doing now and tomorrow? Several projects. I'm working on um, a book where I do talk about uh, sequential art and um, a graphic novel, but it's looking at other forms of popular culture as well. So again, just like my previous, uh, you know, works and articles and books, oftentimes I am talking about expressive, expressive culture, the culture of everyday life, um, the ways in which people are able to articulate really sophisticated ideas um, and to think about politics and social movements and all these other larger things through the form of mass culture and, and popular culture. And so the book I'm working on right now is looking at the, what I'm calling the trope of disassociative identities, which used to be called multiple personality disorder in a variety of pop culture forms. So again, yes, I'm looking at comics, I'm looking at um, popular literature and novels, popular science, uh, as well as some films, um, popular television series on um, cable television. But it's also a cross-cultural work as well. So I'm particularly looking at the trope of disassociative identities as it interfaces with um, women and a diverse group of women. So I'm looking at white women, I'm looking at women of African descent, I'm looking at uh, Latinas, I'm looking at Asian and Asian American women as well, and trying to just sort of think about how this trope works and travels through not only various uh, media forms, but also how it travels through culture and how this popular trope um, differs when you look at different um, racial and ethnic gendered identities. Um, and so it's a really fascinating product. And I, I did a short trailer, a three minute trailer about the book. And, you know, before you were sort of asking me about the origins of Black Women's Sequence, this book happened as a result of binge watching um, on Netflix <laughs> and a, an algorithm that suggested a show to me. And I started watching it. And um, that show was called United States of Terror, which was on HBO. It had um, five or six seasons. And I, you know, watched it throughout the summer. And the reason why I decided it would be a great book is because I write a lot on identity and the formation of identity. And after watching that show, it really unraveled a lot of what I have written about identity. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I, I argue in a lot of my different things that I publish is we have these sort of multiple and intersecting identities that we negotiate in a variety of ways and popular culture and other forms sort of can help us see how people not only create new identities, how they negotiate them, how they re-articulate them. And so I've been, um, you know, theories of intersectionality have been really important to the work that I do. 
when I started thinking about disassociative identity and after I watched this show, one of the things that came out of this cable television, television series is this idea that, you know, sometimes identities don't intersect. Sometimes they're um, in conflict. And I've written about the ways in which identity is in conflict. But, um, you know, oftentimes there can be this moment of such tight friction where they're not coming together. They're not, uh, they're not intersecting. Uh, they're not negotiated or easily negotiated. And, it, you know, it, it, it brought out a lot of other things uh, as well. But I thought, wow, this, this is a really interesting idea to think more about and unpack that in so many ways is a challenging to things that I have written. And so as much as it became, you know, sort of unsettling, it, it also began as, um, you know, something really exciting to kind of think about various aspects of identity anew, but it also led me to think about things which I hadn't written about or um, necessarily delved into deeply, which is, um, you know, I'm talking about this idea as a popular trope, but it also comes out of um, you know, uh, medical literature and psychologists and psychiatrists sort of creating this, um, this diagnosis and, um, you know, if I'm going to talk about women who are marginalized, not just because of gender, but also because of race and, and ethnicity, it led me to think about the um, unfair practices of the medical industrial complex. And, and that was, you know, a really interesting area as well. And to have the opportunity to think about these larger, broader contexts of the ways in which women interface um, with various aspects of the medical community. Um, added another layer uh, to the project, which I felt could do some really important uh, cultural work at unpacking that across, again, a wide spectrum of, um, of you know, women-identifying subjects. Yeah, that's so, um, you know, of course, there's graphic medicine and there's um, uh, these different fields, health narrative, narratives of health, but what we, it sounds like your kind of work right now is really going to kind of push open a new way of conversating in those spaces, right? Um, I'm really excited. You know, Deborah, you also curate and create, uh, as you talked about a little bit earlier with your, your, in fact, your origin story with comics is that you are a comics creator. Um, so t can you share a little bit about this sort of part of your life and how you integrate this with your teaching and your scholarship? So it, you know, these are pretty separate worlds for a long time um, until the early 2000s. And um, right uh, after we went to war, you know, post 9-11, it was like um, 2002, 2003, I ended up receiving uh, a grant from the Monroe Trotter Institute uh, in Boston, a really great um, institute that um, supports work on black culture, black identity, black history. And I received a grant to talk about the ways in which black artists and uh, activists thought about our post 9-11 moment and the culture represented this moment and, and the post moment and how 
people of African descent related to aspects of patriotism over time. And so I ended up getting the grant um, a little bit before we went to war. And then we went to war. And, you know, I was faced with getting this great grant. Then I had to write in a really difficult time. And so um, oftentimes when I have writer's block or I want to think through a complex idea that's not ready to be articulated in the form of an article or a book chapter or scholarly form, I will do a painting or I will do a poem just to sort of get the intellectual juices flowing. And so this moment became a moment where I really did do a large series of paintings and poetry as a way to help me break through and be able to write about um, some things that I need to write about to write this um, article. And um, that again was supported by this wonderful grant. And then, you know, I, I had done that before, but this moment just became a moment where I, I really relied on it a lot more than I have in the past. So it's just something that I, you know, continue to do even, um, you know, more contemporary, uh, more contemporarily uh, today. And then I got into um, doing curating, which is something I always wanted to do, but I also always wanted to have my own work exhibited in a formal way. And so, um, you know, partnering with some folks and um, working with museums, which I, you know, had been doing earlier in my career as well. And so by the time I got to Iowa, it was really um, the right time for me to curate and exhibit and try to bring all these worlds of mine together, the artistic, the intellectual, the um, activist uh, component as, as well. And it was it was an amazing opportunity. I, I curated this exhibition in, in 2010 on um, hip hop, especially as articulated in photography, in um, music flyers, in album covers. Obviously, we looked at the music as well. I did um, a collaborative mural with the mural artist Lady Pink, which um, was amazing, but I had never done collaborative art, so it was also really challenging to have someone sort of overseeing a project and telling me, you know, how to paint or sort of over my shoulder saying, well, do this and do that. So it was a great mentoring moment for me. But, um, it, you know, it was challenging in some ways, but exciting because not only did I get to work with this amazing um, mural artist and, and artist more largely, but we did the project with studio art students at the University of Iowa. And so, yes, it was just, you know, with me and studio art students and this ama amazing artist creating this mural that um, sought to think through connections between the Midwest, uh, hip-hop, and, um, you know, hip-hop as a culture more largely, and uh, we created this great mural, which last I heard it was at the um, Digging Museum in Iowa, so that was a great moment to um, be able to draw upon all these various worlds um, that I'm a part of artistic, intellectual, academic, pedagogical. Yeah. Wow. Um, gosh, yeah, this is, you know, I love those spaces too. I love the spaces where we can invite people in and it, where new energies are kind of created in the synergies, right? Um, so, 
where if you were gonna choose to put your sort of finger on the pulse of comics and comic studies where would you see or where, where do you think the vitality is today vitality lies in a lot of different spaces now which makes it really exciting so it's no longer a discussion of the mainstream and also no longer of a discussion of the mainstream versus independent right so i think we're at a moment right now where as um you know, wherein, like my, my book, Black Women in Sequence, talks about that we're very influenced um, by, so we, <laughs> let me unpack that. Um, there are a lot of uh, artists and, and writers who are not of Japanese descent, who are highly influenced, again, by Japanese popular culture. And so the explosion of Japanese popular culture, um, not just um, you know, globally, but in the U.S. in particular, has really changed the landscape of comics and sequential art, which is um, really exciting. These expanding forms, right, that are created. And, you know, as I mentioned before, there's also the huge um, Marvel enterprise, which is bringing people to comics who, you know, were, um, you know, so many many of the fans of those films already have a relationship to comics and, you know, write comic books, et cetera. But there are some who, you know, are not and have just become mesmerized by the sequences of films. And even more recently, you know, films like Black Panther, which um, helped to bring out and expose the representation of people of African descent uh, in, in sequential art. And so I think a lot of times the films for people who didn't start with comics are bringing people to the comics. So it's kind of um, what was at one time maybe a sort of forward relationship comics to being fans of the film, being fans of the films and then going back um, to comics. And so, you know, there's a kind of wider terrain, not only in the independent realm, but in so far as people taking up um, less covered terrain, thinking about race and ethnicity and these various forms and sexualities and disability um, and varied abilities and, and class relations. And so the field has really, you know, widened out so much and so many amazing scholars really looking to various, um, you know, corners of the sequential art world to bring out those unheard historical narratives, those um, lesser discussed representations and bring them to the forefront and help us think about, um, you know, what these, these various forms can, can say, again, about culture and politics and, and pleasure, you know, as well. I think that always needs to be a part of um, the conversation to, you know, why does it matter that, you know, um, comics are a form that people, enjoy and and that's important to sort of think about um in terms of pleasure politics and so uh yeah i am uh co-editing with two other amazing people a volume for nyu press uh on um comics right so um nyu has this great um series of books uh as you know that um, looks at various fields, whether it be um, Latino studies and Latinx or African-American studies or disability studies, media studies, studies of gender. 
And so um, it's a great series that tries to, you know, it's more than an encyclopedia. It's a really wonderful narrative um, exploration by a large group of writers delving into a field and not just talking about kind of key touchstones or moments or actors, but also thinking about these various forms of pedagogical tools. And so um, I'm co-editing this book, it's called Keywords in uh, Comic Studies with Ramsey Fawes and Shelley Streeby, um, which has been um, an amazing experience. Um, great colleagues who I've learned a lot from. And um, it's, it's been a lot of uh, work, but it's also been a really great time pulling that together. And we really do see that book as a way to meditate on and, and, and contemplate the field as a whole, much like the work, um, you know, that, that you do as well. And, and the book that you have um, coming out this summer that is pulling together an amazing uh, group, a large group of, of writers to think, about, to think about various aspects of comics and race and gender and sexuality. So. I can't wait for your key words. Uh, can't wait. I know the world uh, will be changed when, when it arrives. Um, you know, here we have, you shared a little part of your journey with us, uh, incredible artist and curator of art and um, professor, teacher, Deborah Elizabeth Wally. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. It, I mean, it was really a pleasure to um, take this time to, to in, engage during um, really challenging times nationally. So it's, it's really nice to take some time and, and think about um, ideas. And so thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs>